Hi everyone, and thanks for listening today. Today's episode is sponsored by the Reading Musical Foundation. You will learn in this interview that this is an organization of which Kim Webster has been an integral part of for many, many years. The Reading Musical Foundation has advanced and advocated for music education and appreciation in Berks County since 1926. Signature programs of the foundation include RMF Scholarship Program, which provides over $200,000 in annual scholarships to Berks County music students. Operation Replay, an instrument recycling program that provides used instruments with deserving musicians, as well as an annual grant program that provides more than $300,000 for music-related projects in the greater Reading community. You can learn more about RMF at their website, readingmusicalfoundation.org, or by finding them on Facebook and Instagram at Reading Musical Foundation. Throughout this interview, I realized Kim's influence on me has been great. From attending the same college, to collecting shot glasses just like her, to our similar teaching philosophies. I'm really indebted to her for her influence, her practicality, not only in remaking, but in life, and the, and the kindness she has extended to me as a student and in giving me many opportunities to become grounded in this area as an oboist. Without her, there would be no me, and well, not as an oboist anyway. And I thank her for being my oboe mom. Here's Kim's life between the notes. Well, welcome everyone to Life Between the Notes, where we are going beyond the bio and bringing you interviews of your favorite South Central Pennsylvania musicians. I am Kirsten Myers, and my co-host Morgan Davis is here today as well. Hello, Morgan. Hi. <laughs> so glad she's to be here and not in the car. <laughs> right. She's had a long morning already, and it's only 10 a.m. <laughs> So, um, but we are thrilled today to have oboist Kim Webster joining us. So hello, Kim, and thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Oh, this is going to be fun. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Kim uh, received her BS in music education from Indiana University of Pennsylvania. She's a former member of the Reading Symphony, Johnstown Symphony, and the Allentown Symphony. Currently, Kim is a member of the Reading Pops Orchestra, Burke's Chamber Orchestra, the Glenallen Trio, or is it Glenallen? Glenallen. Glenallen. And the Music in the Schools Woodwind Quintet. She has performed with the Pottstown Symphony, Reading Civic Opera Orchestra, Reading Choral Society Orchestra, the Bach Choir of Bethlehem, and the Lehigh Valley Chamber Orchestra. She has a private teaching studio for oboe students ranging from grade five up through the quote, more mature, end quote, students. Her current and former students are members of the Reading Philharmonic Orchestra, the Wyomissing Band, the Horizon Senior Citizens Orchestra, the Ringgold Band, and the Reading Symphony Youth Orchestra, as well as county, district, regional, and state bands and orchestras. She is an adjunct faculty member at Kutztown University. She is also a member of the Reading Musical Foundation Board, heading up the scholarship committee. So, um, and full disclosure that I also have an insider's track here. Uh, <laughs> Kim was my private oboe teacher from sixth through 12th grade. Uh, don't know how she survived that, but um, so I started with her way back in 1986. And so I did a little math. And so we've known each other for 36 years. Oh my God. I know. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> it's crazy. I, yeah. Yeah. It was like 30, 36. That's nuts. All right. Well, anyway. But, but it's been great. It's been um, a great thing to actually um, eventually go from being your student to you know, colleague and friend. And um, it's just a neat relationship to have with your teacher. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so Kim, why? <laughs> <laughs> this is the big question because why would you choose the oboe? Okay, I, I always 
I always ask my students this because I think it's fun to learn how someone stumbled into this. Mm -hmm. um, I literally stumbled into it. Um, I started piano in maybe first grade and in seventh grade, we had an assembly and the band director stood up and he wanted people to play oboe or bassoon. And he wanted people who already played piano because he didn't want to have to teach them the music part. And, you know, I often think, well, where would I be if he hadn't needed double reed players at that point in time? What would I be doing? So <laughs> yeah, God, God has odd plans for us sometimes. So, and I'm not quite sure why I picked oboe over bassoon. I, my parents took me to symphony concerts, so I must have known what it was, but mm -hmm. they don't tell you when you start out that you have to learn to make reads. No. Yeah. So they wait till you get hooked on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like a drug, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're like, oh, here, here's an oboe. It sounds beautiful. Although it right. can sound like a duck. But they don't, yeah, they don't tell you that, like, yeah, slippery slope of, you know, getting into reed making. Right, right. But that's how I got started. Huh. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's <laughs> interesting. And that was in sixth grade, you said? Seventh or grade. Seventh was, grade. Yeah. He, he wanted, so I started the summer after seventh grade. Okay. Wow. Right. So then, so then you just continue to play through high school? Right. Okay. Right. I, pick, I picked up saxophone to be in the marching band. Yeah. Um, but yeah, otherwise I just kept playing oboe. Okay. And so, and where did you grow up? In Berks County. Where in um, I went to Governor Mifflin School District. Mm -hmm. Okay. Great. Wow. So, and so you've been in Berks County all of your life, except for when you went to college then. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Why, why did you come back? Um, well, I, when I got out of college, the, um, the teaching said getting a job in a school was difficult because there were a, was a glut of teachers. So I, I had a job at a bank in, for the summers. So I just continued working at the bank and started a private teaching studio and then I got into Reading Symphony and it just sort of snowballed from there. Okay, yeah, wow, all right. And so, so then, um, then growing up, um, so you live with your parents, do you have any brothers or sisters? No. No, no. okay, yeah, it was just you, right. Right. Ah, right, so, and so then they were obviously supportive of you, like, are they the ones, did your mom or dad like want you to play piano and that's why you started in first grade? Yeah, we had a piano. My dad played piano um, just for the fun of it. He was not a musician as such. And um, I probably poked at it when I was a little kid. So they started me on lessons. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Wow, that's great. Um, and so, so when you were in school, like what activities uh, were you involved in? Like marching band, you said with saxophone. You were right. Um, most mostly just band, orchestra, and chorus. I was not a sports person at all. Yeah, <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> okay, so we talk about like practice habits and practice mm -hmm. ethics and that kind of thing. Um, so when you were in high school, I mean, did did you practice a, <laughs> a lot, a little? Like, what what was that like for you? Um, I did practice. I think my parents made me practice. Mm -hmm. And that's something when you're teaching and the parents say to you, well, I have to make them practice. What, what do I do? And I tell them that <clears throat> when I, I remember my parents having to make me practice. But I think once I was there at the piano or playing the oboe, I was probably fine. So I think there's a fine line that parents have to walk with, well, I have, you have to go practice, but you know, do I have to tie you to the seat to make you practice and stay there? Yeah, and that's half the battle. 
honestly, yeah. with lots of things, actually, like just getting yourself there to do it. Like right. when doing it is fine. It's like exercise, like exactly you know, that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> Kim, I'm curious. Did you think? Do you think being an only child had an effect? Like I was an only. And we didn't live in a neighborhood. We lived like kind of far, far away from things. Like it was rural. And so I think mm -hmm. I practiced a lot as a kid because I didn't have siblings to play with and I needed to like find ways to not be bored. Do you think that oh. any of that was a factor in your practice as a kid? Um, no, because we had neighborhood kids that I played with, mm -hmm. although by the time I started playing oboe, I was probably not running around with the neighborhood kids because you're more right. into the junior high friends and high school friends. Mm -hmm. um, but that's interesting. But I, I probably not. No. Yeah. I'm always curious. I mean, I think some of our mine had to do with like where I lived, but I'm sure some of it was being an only, you know, on the weekends when my parents were busy doing things what was I going to do, you know, and that was like pre cell phone pre like we didn't have, we had internet, but it wasn't like, like, what were you going to do check your email as a seventh grader so like, <laughs> so I think that was just a big factor for me and I always wonder if, if people's like sibling situations have an impact. That's an interesting point yeah probably <laughs> would. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And plus you're the only, you're the focus, right? So they yes. know what you're doing. If you're, well, if you're practicing or not, like if they want to, if they're, if they're saying, Hey, you have to sit down and practice it's because they're aware of, of where you're at. Yeah. 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 So, so then, um, so you went to IUP and so, and you have your degree in music education. So was, um, your intent was to um, teach in public schools? Um, I, think, I think so. I'm not really sure. I, I know I wasn't sure I wanted to stand up in front of a class and teach. Um, it, it was just a, and it was a weird time because like I said, there weren't many jobs. So I really didn't even have that many job interviews mm -hmm. when I got out. Um, right. I knew I liked teaching one-on-one, -on -one, but mm -hmm. I wasn't, I didn't see me in front of a classroom. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's kind of one of those things like you, you go into music <clears throat> and you're not exactly sure what you want to do or what avenue, you know, and most of us, I think, don't know. <laughs> and you don't know until you try it. Right? Yeah. And yeah, uh, well, and one of the questions that you, um, gave me you gave me some pre pre questions here um was you know when you would what you advise your students who want to go into music and i always tell them to get an ed degree even if they're not sure they want to teach because i've known so many people who have gotten a ba degree thinking they want to go play and perform and they can't can't earn a living right and they go back to get their education courses. Whereas if you get the ed degree, you have it. If you don't use it, it's not a big deal. Right. And I guess that's why I have my ed degree. <laughs> because <of you. laughs> I imagine that you gave me that advice. Oh, probably, yes. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you did, right. And uh, But yes, I mean, and you never know too, like, you know, years down the road that you, you may want to, uh, teach in public school or you know you just don't know I mean <laughs> yeah you don't I mean when you go to college you may not envision that you could be in a classroom and then halfway through college you go oh I really like this or I'm really good at this right and then you have to backtrack and pick up the education courses right yeah so um so when you were at IUP, so your your teacher was um, Dr. Lloyd, Robert Lloyd, right. right? He was your oboe teacher. And so I went to IUP as well. I guess I wanted to be like Kim. Like <laughs> so then I was like second generation um, Dr. Lloyd student uh, too. So, um, so when you were at IUP, like who was your most influential teacher, would you say? <clears throat> sorry well you don't have to get all choked up about it 
which you know I think often like it's our, our private teacher like our yeah. our, our, our um, instrument. Dr. Lloyd, Dr. Lloyd was definitely most influential. Um, I think Dr. Borst, the bassoon teacher, too, was very influential. Um, those are the two main ones. Yeah, and th and those are the the teachers that you're around the most. You're you're with them uh, for all you know four five <laughs> years. You right. know, there. Um, like who was your most influential teacher? Like, did you, did you take, you took private lessons in high school then or no? Yes, yes. Um, I think I had <clears throat> lessons in maybe eighth or ninth grade with a woodwind guy. Mm -hmm. um, and then I took lessons from Don Rentschler who lived in Lancaster County and he taught at Warwick, Warwick High School, I think for a while and played in the Reading Symphony for a while. Okay. Um, yeah, and I don't know that name. Um, yeah, it was probably before your time. I know at one point when I graduated from college, he gave me his oboe, he had three or four oboe students and he just, he was a golfer. He liked to go out and golf. So he just didn't want to teach anymore. <laughs> right, right. And they're oboe students, so uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> give them to an obo person so right so yeah. you came back to to berks county what it what is it that you like about teaching in this area and, and or performing in this area um it's urban enough but not too crazy there's there's probably less competition than there would be if you would if i went down to philly there you know there'd be more competition and it's just an easier lifestyle. It's not quite as hectic, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when did, when did you graduate from IUP? Um, 76. Okay. 73. Now wait. 73. <laughs> 73. Okay, that's the year I was born. And... Ah! <laughs> But um, so when did you start playing with Reading Symphony? Um, shortly after that. Um, I didn't actually have to audition. Um, <laughs> they, <clears throat> at the time, uh, Wes Fisher was the personnel manager and he just at one point slipped me into second oboe and so I was just sort of there. Yeah. Now, Wes Fisher, that's that's a big name um, yes. for Berks County uh, in regards to musicians. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Because <laughs> he he started he started the Reading Pops Orchestra. Right. Right. And was influential in many people's lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, what was his association with Reading Symphony? Um, he played in it and he was he managed the personnel. Okay. All right. I just remember like hearing that name a lot. Uh, yes. and, <laughs> and yeah, big name in the musical community. Definitely. So, and so the Reading Pops Orchestra, that began? 1969, I believe. Right. And you've been there since the beginning then too, right? Yes. Yes. Right. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> and didn't, Reading Pops just, didn't they just have an anniversary uh, year? Yeah. Or, there was a couple, I don't know, I've lost a few years here with. Uh, I think you've lost a few years with COVID. <laughs> I did. Well, okay. It would be like 50 years or something, right? In, in oh, 19? Yeah. Oh, 2000, yeah. Yeah. Um, not nuts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so it was a few years ago, but okay. And yeah. now, so with Reading Pops, then you, are you still on the board with Reading Pops? You used to be, anyway. I used to be on the board. I'm not on the board anymore, no. Okay. And, but you are with um, Reading Musical Foundation. Right. Yes. And how yes, long I have you been on the board for, with them? <clears throat> I'm thinking since 1980. Okay. Um, Wes 
Fisher once again. Um, he had started the music in the schools program that we have now in Berks and Lancaster counties. And my first year with that was 1976, because I remember we wore bicentennial outfits <laughs> for that year. Oh, yeah. I mean, it made dressing easier in the morning because you just knew what you were going to wear. Um, yeah. But a few years after that, then he got me onto the Ready Musical Foundation as the music and schools committee person. Mm -hmm. And then I evolved into the scholarship portion of Ready Musical Foundation. <clears throat> Which, yeah, I mean, RMF is just, it's, a, it's grown into a huge organization over the years. And it, it has. We started out with, um, in fact, I think Janine Thomas was our very first scholarship winner. Really? Oh. In 1968, there was maybe one scholarship for a senior majoring in music. And um, we now have, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 different scholarships for seniors majoring yeah. in music. We just had the auditions and gave out over $50,000 just for seniors majoring in music. I um, am amazed at this program because you you got me involved in the judging. Um, right. And I am always so impressed at the level of playing of all ages of students that, that it just is like a testament to the type of teaching that's happening in Berks County. And then just that, that the undertaking you must have to, to take get that scholarship program functioning the way it does. It's so efficient. And it's such an amazing thing to have all that money available for those students. It is when the scholarships that you judged um, a couple of weeks ago in March, mm -hmm. um, once again, we gave out maybe 50, over $50,000 in just merit awards yeah. to students from, from actually first grade through 12th grade. Cause the-, yeah. the the string players and the piano players can start in first grade auditioning and they're so cute when they come yeah. in. <laughs> well, one year, one year I did the, like, it was like fifth and sixth graders or something, you know, and it was all instruments and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to say to a fifth grade trombone player or whatever, but they're doing a great job. And like, I just think what a cool thing for those students to get feedback yes. from people on their playing and, and be recognized for making a really genuine effort toward learning to play an instrument. I just think that's gotta be so impactful for those students. Yeah. And I think it's nice that they can, um, they learn to audition early in life. Yeah, and it doesn't, it, maybe it takes some of the fear out, like they see the value of the process. Right, mm -hmm. right. And it's another thing to work towards, you know, it's another goal, um, you know, we have, you know, recitals and performances and that kind of thing, but, you know, but to be able to do that, and then Morgan, like you said, get yeah. feedback is, it's so valuable. Yeah. yeah, well, and I think this is something that, that RMF is, is really making a difference on, because when I lived in other states, like when I was living in Ohio and Wisconsin, and their, their primary thing that they do for student, school-age students is solo and ensemble contests. So students as young as like fourth grade prepare based off of these different difficulty lists. You know, they get feedback, they can go on to the next level of feedback and they get recognized for their playing. They get encouraged to play with their friends and do duets and trios and things. And here, you know, we have district band. And, and I, I remember when I first moved back to Pennsylvania being so frustrated that there was nothing for my students to do besides that here in Lancaster, right. you know, really because what, if you're not in that upper 2% of players in high school, then what is there available to you as encouragement to prepare to perform and learn to perform? Um, and so I really think that you all fill a void, like a big void by offering that. Right, right. We have another area of the scholarships and that's the need sensitive scholarships. Mm -hmm. And that's that started because I had a student I had two students and the one student, her mother would sit in on the lessons and knit and her husband was on the RMF board. And I happened to be telling this student one day, I have this other student who wants to go to music camp. She wanted to go to Elizabethtown music camp, but she couldn't afford to go. 
Well, somehow a contribution got sent to RMF so this person could go to camp. And that's how the need-sensitive scholarship started because oh, wow. the board realized, well, there are people who can't afford lessons. They can't afford to go to music camp. If they want to major in music and do the music major scholarships, how do they get the experience if they can't afford lessons? Mm -hmm. So that's another big part of the scholarships. Yeah. And now, now we have people who are on need-sensitive scholarships who are actually auditioning for the merit, merit scholarships and winning some, some money with that. Yeah, right. That's fantastic. Yeah, and really one thing special. to another you know, it's just, yeah, <laughs> like you go from like the, the need base to, to merit base because they were able to take those lessons. So right. it, all, it all like kind of builds on itself. And yeah, right. that's, that, that's amazing. And, right. and what a great support. And, and like Morgan said, I mean, there are, there are so many, um, you know, talented um, kids and uh, there, there is just a lot of talent in, in that area for sure. And I'm sure in, in, in large part to that support. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you're probably what you're doing with the scholarships, having those kinds of things in like that are just part of the culture. You know, it's like that's you're doing that something that encourages people to keep teaching in your area, to keep being there and and making that a place they want to live and teach and um, oh, make music. I, I hadn't thought of that, but yes, it, it might mm -hmm. it might do that. <laughs> yeah, I think it just feeds that like richness. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Have there been any like hurdles for you to overcome as a musician? Like, have you ever encountered anything um, besides reed making that was an obstacle? <laughs> well, funny you should mention that. That's the main, I think the main thing when I came out of college was I wasn't, fully aware of how to finish a read and be consistent about it and yeah. that I really struggled for a number of years when I came out of college because I didn't have anybody helping me mm -hmm. and um till I found my way with you know my style of read I think we all have our own style of reads um they're all basically similar but each oboe player does their own thing with with them and has their own system mm -hmm. and it just took me a number of years you know where I struggled to you know sometimes you have a good one and sometimes you don't and you still have to sound okay on them <laughs> <laughs> somehow you have to make it work even if it's not the best exactly yeah 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 okay so here come all the oboe questions um uh so <laughs> do you think that that is the most challenging thing about being an oboist the the reed making or um yes i think i think so because if you have a good read to play on life is wonderful yeah. um because <laughs> everything works yes and um and i know I know oboe players don't practice as much as say flute players, Morgan, um, but that's because we need something to play on. So we spend most of our time making reads. And then if we have a good read, life is good. Yeah. And, you know, too, I think this is like, maybe not like, I've thought about this a lot. I have two really, really good friends who are oboists. Um, one of them was a friend from grad school that I spent a lot of time with. And I feel like it makes you more efficient with your practice time because you spend that time read making. So whereas I can duff around in a practice room for four hours and probably still only get as much done, you know, of real practice time, you know, the somebody, somebody who's making reads or doing what it's, I don't know. I think like, not that I want to trade my head joint for a read, <laughs> but I just think perhaps I might've learned time management sooner <laughs> uh, in practice if I had another stipulation. <laughs> Interesting yeah. point, Morgan. Maybe. That's Maybe. a nice way of looking at it. That's a <laughs> well, I like I said, I don't have to make reads. So, you know, like <laughs> maybe I'd feel differently. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's a, like how how if you had to guess like how many hours you spend a week uh working on reads, like what um be an estimate. 
It varies. I would say you know? in my, it, it varies depending on how many gigs I have, but when I was playing Reading Symphony, um, I think four or five hours a week working on reeds mm -hmm. um, easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, I think it's, it's also, well, you know, physically, I think with oboe, uh, and as I get older, I am noticing this more that like, um, it just gets, uh, it gets harder, um, like stamina is, yes. uh, is one thing. And then, and then also just like the constant, like, you know, crouching Hunching over. Hunching, yes, right. <laughs> Start to look like, uh, yeah, I don't know, but, um, but I like I, I really have to like you know like open myself up and and that kind of like and, and stretch a, a lot more because like if you're doing a lot of that kind of work that repetitive work, um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And, and the arthritis in the fingers um, affects that as you get older you have trouble yeah. holding the knife and read, yeah. And then your eyes too, because you're looking at such a small thing and right. then, like being able to like focus on all of that. That's yeah. I feel that even yeah. just reading sheet music, you mm -hmm. know, and then teaching and how, how, and, and especially post COVID, how close or far away am I to my students? Can I yeah. see what they're doing? I, it's like, I can't read accidentals from it, you know, and you start to think what's wrong with me. And you realize like, oh, right. It's just like, I'm aging. And also like, yeah. I'm probably not blinking. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Well, staring at this tiny, tiny thing. I think at some point we all end up with music glasses, mm -hmm. which is different from bifocals. It's about one foot difference. Um, but I noticed that at some point the sharps and naturals started looking alike. And I thought, yeah. okay, I need to go to the eye doctor. Yeah. So I, yeah, right. I got music mm -hmm. glasses. Because mm -hmm. supposedly you're supposed to watch the conductor as well. So... <laughs> There's, no, you're shaking your head. <laughs> Which is more important? <laughs> okay, so so my music glasses, the upper say two thirds are for the music, yeah. and then the the well the lower two thirds and the upper two third is somewhat distance, but it's a blurry distance. But I tell the eye doctor that's okay because conductors don't need to be in focus <laughs> right <laughs> it's kind of peripheral you know yeah. not that they're yeah. peripheral but no, yeah. it makes you able to avoid those glares you know you don't make eye contact because you don't know they're coming your direction <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> ignorance is bliss there we go <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so would you if it comes down to making reads or practicing what do you prefer do you have a preference or um, I actually prefer practicing, um, yeah. but um, one of the reasons I quit, I retired from Reading Symphony was I was tired of only practicing the hard stuff because the technical aspects of playing the oboe, fingering and tonguing is not my strong suit. Mm -hmm. And so it would be, oh, we're playing this piece again. I need to practice these sections. And I wanted to play more melodic music and just enjoy music more. And that's one of the reasons that I finally retired. I mean, I was with them for 41 years. Yeah, right. Wow. I was gonna ask like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So wow. yeah. That's amazing. That's an interesting thing too, because it's like I think we like strive so much to be in orchestras. Um, you know, when you play orchestral instruments like you know most of us aren't aren't shooting for like solo careers or whatever but we want to be in the orchestra and then so many people I've met who have had orchestra you know orchestral careers they choose at some point it's not that they're not able but they just say I have had enough of the pressures that come with this I've had this experience and I've enjoyed it but I want to I want to enjoy the act of playing so even exactly. uh, when I was at, at UW uh, Madison, the flute professor that was there before mine, he had retired from the um, Philadelphia Orchestra to teach there. So his name was Bob Cole. And when I happened to like sit next to him on a plane one time by chance, and he told me all these stories about playing in the orchestra. But one of the things he was telling me was like, you know, I left the orchestra to teach because of the tremendous pressure that came with that job. 
Um, and, you know, while we think of that as sort of like a pinnacle, he said, I had a family and I didn't want to hate what I was doing. And I didn't want to spend all my waking hours thinking about those pressures. You know, I wanted to enjoy music again um, in a different way. So, right. so it's interesting to hear like people's journeys with that, where you reach a sort of point saying like, it's not that you're not enjoying what you're doing. You want to enjoy it in a different way. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I planned it out very well that, you know, as I was, I would, I would think to myself, oh, I don't want to go to rehearsal. And then I'd think once I was at rehearsal, I was fine. Kind of like that practice thing we talked about yeah. earlier in the, <laughs> the interview. And, um, I thought, okay, so when I get to rehearsal and I don't want to be there anymore, that's when I need to start thinking about retirement. Mm -hmm. And I got to that point one year and I thought, okay. So I, I took off a concert because normally I would play all of the concerts just because of the way my schedule worked. It was kind of my first priority on it. So we had a January concert and I decided I would not play that concert and I'd see if I missed not being there. Mm. And I did not miss not being there, you know. Yeah. So that that was that was the deciding point and what made me decide to do to retire from it. Yeah. And and I haven't missed it. I have to say honestly. Yeah. I I miss seeing my friends in the symphony, but yeah. Well, I there's not miss the pressure. Yeah, the mm -hmm. pressure, the stress. There is a lot that goes with that. Right. Yeah. Oh. It's a smart way to like, I think, you know, sometimes the pressure of what we do overrides like our personal wants. Like it's like, oh, I have to be in an orchestra to look look like I know what I'm doing and I have to do this and I have to do that. We forget that like, you know, there's some other factors to that. So I think it's like encouraging to hear, you know, the ways that people listen to their intuition. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and the no other nice thing about our profession is we don't have to boom, retire. That's yeah. it. So what I've done is, you know, I retired from Reading Symphony. Um, I've chosen to say no to gigs that I think I just don't feel like the pressure. I want to play those gigs. Um, you know, I can see me eventually retiring from playing, but still teaching, but who knows? <laughs> right. You know, but we can right. do it slowly. We don't have to just Exactly. Cut it out of our lives. You can kind of tailor it to, you know, what, to what you want to do. And so, right. so, so a lot of what you do now is teaching. Um, yes. Correct. I mean, that's the bulk of, of, of what you're doing now. Right. Um, and so as far as when, well, as your, as far as your philosophy in teaching, um, what is it that you try to impart to your students um, and how to help them? Well, I, I try to not necessarily make oboists out of all of my students, because first of all, there'd be too many oboe players in the world. Um, but I try to teach them to enjoy what they're doing. Um, I wanna teach them to appreciate music so that even if they never play again after high school, they can be an audience member. They can go enjoy the concerts um, and enjoy music. You know, I don't want to make it stressful. Um, right. If if I have a student who wants to quit lessons for whatever reason, you know, they're too busy or they just don't like it anymore, I always try to leave it with, well, you know, if you decide you want to come back, that's fine. Don't feel bad that you know don't feel like you can't call me and start up again because I want them to enjoy it right so because there's yeah and I often feel too there's no sense in, in pushing something that you know if they have no desire to do it it's then it's not it's not fun for any anybody it's not fun for them or the teacher or their parents right. or their parents <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah but I it's, think it's it's so practical or like uh realistic to teach people to be consumers of music even if they're not the ones making it anymore to enjoy like the benefits of it for themselves yeah you know ongoing and they and with all the work that goes into the practicing they they do appreciate like what mm -hmm. it takes to put on a performance and that kind of thing um, right 
and hopefully we have some future donors for Reading Musical Foundation mm -hmm. and Reading Symphony and other various organizations. Yeah. yeah, who remember, you know, what what how important it was for them when they were young. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your donors are more so probably coming from the people who don't end up being musicians anyway. <laughs> so yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um so now personally, you have uh you've been married to Stacy for how long? When did you when did you get married? 76. 76. Okay. Yeah. So that oh, so just a few years out of college. Yes. Right. So where did you meet him? At Shillington Summer Theater. Yes, I thought it was, yeah. Mm -hmm. We we had a summer theater group in Shillington and um he was he's actually four years younger than me so we always say we graduated together because i graduated from college the same year he graduated oh. from high school okay. <laughs> so so we knew each other then we didn't really start dating till 73 74 okay um, so we knew each other for a few years before that and he's not a musician no, he was he was a an actor singer in productions. He directed some of them, um, so he can sing, but right. <laughs> doesn't generally. <laughs> One of those shower singers, um, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. So wow. Yeah. So you you've been together a while, and and you've had many dogs through the years. Correct. Yeah. Yes. You have Teddy, right? What? You have Teddy right now. He's your Teddy right now. Yes, who just left the room. <laughs> he's he's had it with us. You're not doing anything interesting. Um, but yes, he's our third dog, and uh, that's kind of our family life. Yeah. 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 And you've always had the same kind of dog, right? Bichon Frise's. Yes, yes. That started because I had a student get one one time and we just fell in love with the breed and yeah. they're non-shedders. Yay. And, um, they're generally very friendly. Generally, Teddy, they're very friendly. <laughs> no maybe, pressure. Yeah. No pressure, Ted. <laughs> well, maybe he's feeling pressure from your Carnegie Hall background. Uh, oh, that could be. We're doing this on Zoom, and and Kim's got a. She's in Carnegie Hall right now. Yes, so. right. Maybe I, I explained to Kirsten pre-interview that when we had to go over to Zoom lessons during March of 2020, my husband bought me a big picture that is this picture, um, and we hung that up behind me as I was teaching. And then when we were setting up for the interview, he found it online, so he just. It was easier than hooking it up again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're a star. Well, you know, everybody at that point went, was online on Zoom things and they had these cool backgrounds and I just had my studio. So <laughs> I've never mastered that. I've been sitting here with all of my stuff behind me. Oh, yeah. Although when we, when COVID started, we were supposed to be renovating our house. Uh, so we had started to pack. So all my music was packed up in boxes. Um, and so I thought, oh, okay, for a couple of weeks and I'll drag the boxes back in. So I had these boxes of all my music behind me to teach. And then after about a month and a half, I went, maybe I should unpack the boxes. <laughs> so as like COVID went on, I gradually unpacked my studio again. And now it looks like nothing ever happened. <laughs> it's just back right. to the same mess that it was in before. <laughs> So, um, so throughout your career thus far, um, have there, is there a certain colleague or musician who has inspired you, um, you know, aside from any, any teachers, um, but uh, have there been any who were incredibly influential to you? Um, hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, I think when I started, well, Ann Weiser is a flute player who's a good friend of mine now. Um, she really 
helped when I came out and started playing in symphony and Reading Pops. Um, and then in Reading Pops, we ended up sitting next to each other and ended up becoming friends. Um, but, you know, she helped with that. Um, I think Wes Fisher was another influence in getting me out to various gigs. Um, at the time I graduated from college, there were a lot of, a lot of smaller gigs, which I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago when the economy started tanking, um, there weren't as many, you know, smaller church gigs, things like that. And I thought back to when I graduated from college, there were all these little gigs that you could get experience doing things and playing things for people. And the kids don't have that nowadays. I think even they, when I moved here 10 years ago, there was still a little bit of that. Um, it's really changed a lot. Yeah. And then with COVID, you know, everything, but, you know, really when the economy went south, like I said, about 10 or 15 years ago, the churches even had trouble hiring musicians for things. Um, I remember one year, the Rudder Requiem, it was probably just, you know, out in England, but it, it was discovered here mm -hmm. in, in our area. And we must have played in six or eight churches every year doing the rudder requiem at various mm -hmm. churches mm -hmm. and you just don't see that kind of stuff now yeah right. i i feel like i got a lot of orchestral experience playing in various churches that would hire small orchestras chamber orchestras or like you know the chamber setting of the rudder or right. you know just things like that kind of help you help help you find your way yeah, and give you experience to play and you get better. The more you mm -hmm. play, the better you get. Um, and I just, I think the kids in college now, when they get out, they're not gonna have these smaller gigs to get their feet wet. Mm -hmm. Or the reeds wet, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Good one. I think that's our first like uh, instrument pun. <laughs> we've done three of these and that's the, maybe the first one that's good wow congratulations you're, you're the first thank you yeah that's a good one <laughs> so um yeah and and now like an organization um in berks county like i'm thinking right now like berks and finetta that they're uh, they're at least encouraging, uh, you know, younger players to come in and like students to perform as well. So, you know, that's, I like, I, I do like that um, about that yeah. organization. Um, and so, you know, at least <laughs> there's that. And, but yeah, I'm right. And maybe hopefully someday we'll come back to having, you know, more of these smaller gigs and, and, you know, and, and there's a lot of playing going on right now. Um, and and I probably I mean I'm guessing because of the lack of <laughs> what we've had in the past few years with COVID and everything. There's... Yeah, I've been I've been seeing people on Facebook talking about how there's so many gigs, and I think it's just because we haven't had them yeah. for two years, <laughs> and things are going the other way, mm -hmm. as it were, and right. you've got too many things going on but it's good because the musicians need the money <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah that's right um so my last question to you i think is what do you feel is the most rewarding aspect of being a musician slash teacher teaching seeing the kids grow up i love that aha moment when you can see the light bulb going on or, um, and the other thing I like is, okay, I, I know my students are growing up when they like orchestra more than band because oboe players like orchestra more than band. They don't mind that they have measures rest in orchestra and, oh, look, there's a string piece so I don't have to play. When they like that, you know they're becoming an oboe player. <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's really neat to watch them evolve yes yes yeah you know and you've got some who maybe weren't so good when they were in fifth grade but you know they get to eighth or ninth grade and 
they start blossoming. And like I said, you can just see the light bulb pl click on, oh, this is what she's been talking about all this time, you know, because you spend a lot of time when you're teaching saying the same thing many different ways till they get it. <laughs> right, right. And once they get involved sometimes with uh, festivals and being around other um, oboists or musicians, um, they start to see that it's, um, yeah. and that, oh, they're doing this too. Oh, this is right. This <laughs> yes, exactly. Or they have another teacher say something and, and they'll go, oh, well, Kim said that too. I guess she was right. That's my favorite yeah. light bulb moment. <laughs> oh, I've heard this, but that makes so much sense now. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. I've only said it a hundred times. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, well, thank you, Kim, for um, talking with us today. This has been a lot of fun. It has been fun. Yeah. And I didn't know I was taking a trip to Carnegie Hall today, so I'm enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> There's, there's so much that's rewarding about doing this. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, but it's, it's been great. Um, because and often, like, we don't get to talk like this um, a whole lot. Uh, and especially like via Zoom, I think we're all used to like seeing our students. But, you know, we don't always get to talk to each other. Right. Way. So um, it is, it's great. Uh, on that note, um, thanks to everyone who is listening today. Um, and if any of our listeners have questions or suggestions, you can always email us at lifebetweenthenotes at gmail.com. Um, in addition, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So um, have a great day and thank you to everyone for all of your support and thanks for coming out today, Kim. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> Bye.